Come with me and you'll be in a world of cinematic adventures. Hello, welcome back to Cinematic Adventures. Furthering our look into Black History Month. Today, we're discussing One Night in Miami. And my guest is... Savion Wright. How's it going, everybody? You can follow me on Twitter at Savion and Savion Music on Facebook. Cool. I (laughs) would not have guessed that's how you pronounced your name because the way I'm looking at it, I would have said Savion. Yeah, most people think it's it's like more French than it actually is. So my mom's my mom's from Louisiana, like the Louisiana area. So Mm -hmm. very Cajun. And yeah, but wouldn't uh, that be shouldn't that that be Savion then? If she's like because Cajun is French. It's like a French hybrid. Yeah, yeah, it's a French hybrid. But she she got Savion from Savior. So that's how she got it. So she took the R off and then mm mm-hmm. Oh, that explains your Jesus complex. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> okay, wow. come on. Don't, don't act like you didn't deserve some kind of pushback from me. Come on now. <laughs> <That hurt. laughs> but at least I didn't cancel you. So you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just messing with you. But wow. you are talking to someone whose okay, middle name is me. Renee, spelled with three E's. What? Yeah. I'm like, hey, wait, Renee. Okay. Okay, R-E-N-E-E so two E's at the E-E end. With an accent over the last E. Yeah, got it. That's what I was thinking. Yep. So anyway, one night in Miami. <laughs> what made you pick this movie? Oh man. So I I, I wanted to choose something else, but you know, it would have got me canceled. I'll just say that. Mm. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Nah, but I, I think I thought this was a really good movie. Um, you know, after seeing uh, some of the choices that were, you know, were given. It seemed like the best choice, mainly because I hadn't watched it yet, but I kind of have seen in my brain that somehow, just some way, it was going to have a change is going to come by Sam Cook in it. And oh, so, so what my, you're saying is I, <laughs> all my choices were shit, and you were like, this is the only one that looks worth a damn, and just because I haven't seen it. Thanks a lot, Sam. No, no, that's not it. No, that's that's not what it. I heard. No, the reason why is because I'm... I'm a history buff too. So like, I love, I love history. I love, especially our history as black people. And so I, I mean, the fact that you, you're dealing with some of the most prominent figures in black history within that time, I thought that was a, you know, that was a good, a good movie to, to try to talk about. And, you know, being the, being the person that I am. I love to I love to do something that's based off of a one of my favorite songs of all time. I have a history where the change is gonna come because I've lost I lost my brother and what 2013 and this song really helped get me through a lot of the pain that I went through from losing him. And so and it was actually one of the first songs I ever learned on the on the guitar when I when I was learning the guitar. It actually uh scared the hell I I am not lying. It scared the hell out of my dad. Because my dad did not know I could sing the way that I could until he heard me sing that song. And I was, I was I think I was in church. My dad's a pastor. So that's a whole thing, too. Um, but I was in the back room of the church playing my guitar, just playing around, learning songs. And I decided to do A Change Is Gonna Come. And I hit those that those first four words. I was born by the by the. And then I hadn't did River yet, but my dad walked through the door as soon as I did that. He said, boy, <laughs> that was you? 
<laughs> and like that was the first time I had ever seen my dad's face just like his whole face lit up and he was like I didn't even know you could sing like that like where has where was that where has that been all these years basically so I have a very a very really good history with this song and so I kind of had a feeling it was going to be in there because that was like the song that really defined the civil rights movement in a way so yeah, I was excited to do this to do uh, one night in Miami just because of the fact that you know it had that song in it. That was my favorite song growing up. Uh, when I was a little girl, I used to borrow borrow in quotes my dad's uh, my dad's <laughs> cassette for the Sam Cooke albums. Then that song was on there. It was my favorite song of his. And I used to like my dad was you would think he would just give it to me <laughs> be like here just get get another one. Nope, <laughs> he would just constantly be like. Okay, give me my album back. And then I'd be like, okay. I give it to him. And the next day I'd be like, can I have it again? And you give it back to me <laughs> every time. I don't know why he didn't just be like, here, just take it, you know. <laughs> but every he every so often, like every couple of months, he'd be like, Hey, you still have my Sam Cook album? And I'd be like, Yeah. I'm like, give that back. Okay. You give it back to him. <laughs> Come back 20 minutes later. Hey, can I can I have that again? And you just give it to me. <laughs> And I'm like, why do you nice. even keep asking for it back? You keep give, letting me have it. <laughs> exactly. I wore like, that wow, thing out. Why do that? That was my favorite song. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great song. I, I mean, feel like that song has now, a meaning to all of us. Like it hits all of us in a personal way. Oh, it does. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially, especially black people. Like, I mean, it's it, I mean, especially it's so black weird. people. It, like it, it was for black people. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like. It's, it's just crazy to me, like, how it, like, defines, like, not just the generation, but it defines the Black experience, really. I mean, let's just, if you listen to the lyrics and look at the lyrics of the song, like, it really defines us as, as Black people and what we've gone through. Like, how we define racism in, in this world, in this country that we live in. And kind of a little bit why, you know, white, white people can't understand that as much as we do so like I, I i think man that it just it just blows my mind just to know how powerful a song can be that was the first and again going back to like when i grew up like that was the first song that i really ever heard where i knew the power of a song so that's it just it's it's transformative it's absolutely transformative okay so tying it back into the movie what when you did hear the song in the movie because it plays at the end spoiler alert um like mm -hmm. so then basically this entire podcast episode is going to be spoiler filled so if you haven't seen the movie one night in miami go watch <laughs> it um but the to start the premise of the movie is four men oh it's on free room. it's also it's on free on it's on it's free on amazon prime by the way yeah <laughs> um four men meet in a hotel room and have quite a few discussions those men are malcolm x jim brown who later becomes muhammad ali but at the time he's cassius clay and sam cook and what i didn't know was because i thought this was just like an imagining of what if it yeah happened, completely but it actually happened yeah and i didn't know that <laughs> so um it happened the night that uh, muhammad ali beat sonny liston mm -hmm. so at the end you hear the song you hear Sam Cooke perform the song Change's Gonna Come, which I don't think he ever did, did he? He didn't get a chance to. It was released after, it was released posthumously. So it's really weird. So I'm pretty sure, let me think, Sam Cooke, I'm pretty sure he died 
let me see. He died, he died at the end of 64. I mean, I know it mm-hmm. was December of 64. I'm pretty sure a change is going to come was it debuted earlier that year. Um, well, because I looked it up, and it, I, it, whenever I looked up, a change is going to come. It like it said that it was released posthumously, so it might have been released like huh, right after he died, or right like right around that time. But maybe so. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's possible because like the way they the way huh. they they kind of like buffer it in by saying that he was performing a song that hasn't been released yet. So they did at least say that. Yeah. Yeah. So because I'm pretty sure it wasn't released. Like you couldn't buy it until after he died, yeah. Uh, but that doesn't that, mean that he never right. performed it anywhere. But I, I'm yeah, just unaware right. if he had performed it anywhere. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think he did either. I, I mean, I know, yeah, I know for sure it was, it, it probably was released posthumously um, because I know he died in '64. It was the end of '64 for sure. Mm-hmm. So it must have been released like January that that next year after he died. So what do you think about the way they treated the song or the creation of the song, I should say, in the movie? Uh, I mean, I, I kind of like the way they did it. I, I mean, because, yeah, I, I mean, it was kind of a, it was <laughs> the way they kind of went towards it was really interesting because it was kind of like, I wrote this song because a white man wrote a song that, that, you know, kind of told our story of being black people, you know, in America, but it was a white guy showing his privilege more than anything. And that made me angry that this really? white man wrote a song. No, no, not me. I oh, mean, you're like talking about in the movie. Okay, okay. Yeah. Like Sam Cooke was like, I'm mad. You know, I was angry, you know, when I listened to that song and I you know, wasn't the one to be able to tell the story of us, you know, so, I mean, that's at least what I felt is what was kind of being told. And then, like, he was like, well, you know what? Since, you know, Bob Dylan wrote this song, you know, about blowing in the wind, then, hey, why don't I write a song, too, that, you know, shows the Black experience and, like, tells the story of, you know, what we go through as as Black people in this country. I, I mean, that was kind of so a little I saw weird. It, a it felt weird way. for me. It's interesting yeah, that that's the part that you do. don't like because that's the part that's actually true. The part that I didn't like because I actually looked it up. That is true. That is why he wrote that yeah, song. He had, yeah, and I, I he do, know, heard, I do uh, know that. Blowing in the wind. And he was like, how am I going to be upstaged by a white man? <laughs> like, exactly. So, um, so that is, that's actually how he did it. The part that mm-hmm. I didn't like is the way that the movie, and it's kind of a nitpick, an overall thing that I don't like about this movie. They made it seem like it wasn't the song so much that was the inspiration. It was Malcolm X lecturing him all night. Yeah, that's true. That made him want to do true. it when it's not. It was, it was. And I was going to say that. Like he admitted that it was because of, it was because of that. But this whole movie, my my general nitpick with the whole movie is instead of it seeming like four men who come together and have various conversations, this movie could have just been a day in the life of Malcolm X and how he influenced three other people. Like that's, <laughs> that's really what that's it was. That's so true. That's so true. That's right. Because yep. it wasn't it wasn't told from the slant of four different individuals. It was told through the lens of Malcolm X, which is why mm-hmm. you see his house get burned at the end. It's all about mm-hmm. his decision. The truth of this story is the story is the decision for Malcolm X to leave the nation of Islam. The nation of Islam. That That's is correct. the story that happens. And then within that story, and you're you're following Malcolm X as he goes to this hotel room to meet these other three people. 
And I don't like that because it wasn't billed as that. It was billed as we're going to get to see what might have happened had these four individuals come together. And I honestly don't think that he would have been as preachy. And even who's I think it was Jim Brown who said it in the movie was like, you know, you're you're not normally like this. You normally Mm -hmm. can't. You're not preachy behind closed doors. And I feel like this reimagining made him too preachy because I don't think he I think that Jim Brown character is right. I don't think he would have been like that behind closed doors. Exactly. And I think that's that's what kind of threw me off, too, because that and what I meant, what what made what really made me mad is that. But it was the way they did it is what I mean, is that Malcolm X came out with a song and was like, huh, I got this for you. Mm-hmm. I got you. You're like, basically, he was like, I got you. I got you. And then he comes out with blowing with, you know, blowing with the wind. And that just felt really weird. I was like, so you're trying to make him angry by showing him this song by this white man just to, you know, like just to be petty. Like that just doesn't make sense. Exactly. Like, that that like kind of threw me off. I feel like you would have not minded the actual history had it shown us because it didn't really show us Sam Cooke on his own at all. Every time no. we see Sam Cooke, it is in relation to Malcolm X. Like when we yeah, see what happened true. in Boston, it's Malcolm X telling the story and he's yep. in the back of the room. We never get to see the only time we see Sam Cooke without Malcolm X being physically there is when or when he's part of the subject is when he's singing the song that according to this movie Malcolm X inspired. So it's as if Malcolm X pushed him yep. to write or, the song. Or and now even when he was with Cassius. Hmm? Yeah, or when he went to when he went to the store with Cassius. Yeah, and, and why was he alone money. with Cassius? Because he got pissed off by Malcolm X. It's because all still playing around <laughs> exactly. Malcolm X. Yep. It's the story. Exactly. Is, it's just yep. like I talk about the difference between Captain America's Civil War being a Steve Rogers movie and being an Avengers movie because some people are like it's Avengers 2.5 and I was like no it's not it's a Captain America movie this is why no that's like, definitely a Captain America movie. it's <laughs> definitely a Captain America movie and it's the same when you watch this movie this is not a movie about four individuals this is a Malcolm X movie yeah and so um the part where Mal- like you said where Sam because he was pissed off at the fact that Malcolm <laughs> <laughs> made him angry and then he left with Cassius to go to the store um it's it's really weird because the way they I mean it's just it was basically like Malcolm basically the prequel to the the Malcolm well I guess yeah the prequel to the Malcolm X movie if you know what I mean like because yeah. now that I know now that I know that Spike Lee was involved with this film it was kind of like hey can we kind of make this a prequel of my movie way back when you know so like it just I don't know. It felt weird. It felt really weird with that. Yeah, I I didn't like that. Yeah. If you look at this through that same lens of like how Captain America Civil War is very much a Captain America movie. This is very much a Malcolm X movie because nothing happens that is not directly related to Malcolm X. Even when characters are by themselves. Because like with Sam Cooke, he's by himself. But what is he doing? He's singing the song that according to this movie was inspired by Malcolm X. When you see he and Cash uh, and uh, Cassius Clay go to the store together, why are the two of them alone going to the store together? Because Sam Cooke left because he was pissed off about something that Malcolm X said. And what do they mm-hmm. talk about the entire time? They essentially talk about the co- the lecture that Malcolm X had given them. Mm-hmm. So there's not a single situation. Like the only time, the only time you really have a situation, the only character that was like on his own was Jim Brown, because they show you things non-related to Malcolm X. And really, if anything, this is kind of like 
how how Malcolm X affected these two men and then failed to affect this one. That's yeah. pretty much the only difference. <laughs> I mean, I guess because because he because I guess like I'm, I'm trying to remember what Malcolm wanted Jim Jim to do. Because I remember Jim was like, you know, like I'm thinking about leaving, you know, the NFL anyway and going going to movies full time. And like, I think Malcolm was like, no, you need to stay and like use your platform. You know, you're the NFL king or whatever. I don't know. I feel like I don't know that he wanted him to stay. I just feel like I, I feel like Malcolm X wanted him to kind of be the Colin Kaepernick of his time. And Jim Brown yeah, was like, look, I'm not, I, it's not like I'm quiet. And Malcolm yeah. X was like, yeah, exactly. But he wanted him. I think the difference is Malcolm X wanted in this movie, I'll say in this movie, in this movie. Yeah. Because like, I, cause I don't, I don't know that that's the real life him. Cause I feel like in real life, while he would have welcomed people wanting to do that, I don't feel like in real life, he would have pressured people to to do like in this movie, he very specifically is pressuring all of them to use their voice to stand up in a way that he wants. And because every single one of these men have used their voice to stand up. And the thing that I really don't like about this movie is the fact that they make it seem like Malcolm X pressured Sam Cooke into writing that song. When by the time these men met, he already wrote, written the song. He had already written it. Exactly. So it's just, it's the, the framing of it. I don't really like. And the same thing, like, it makes it seem like Malcolm X was the reason why Muhammad Ali decided to become a Muslim. And he may have influenced him, but from what yeah. I knew of Muhammad Ali, no, nobody to- nobody told him to become a Muslim and he just exactly. decided to do it. Like exactly. He had a very he was a, all four of these men were very strong willed. Mm-hmm. True. So I don't see any of these men being influenced heavily by one or another like exactly. all of these men they're all these are four influencers essentially exactly not not being influenced by him and that was really interesting because i'm like like i don't think malcolm like would have like i don't even think you know in the real life situation of this happening where they did actually meet up at that hotel i don't think it, like this where they were bickering the whole time like being mad at what each other has done and whatnot like, I'm pretty sure, you know, if, you know, thinking historically and thinking about that perspective, I think it was looking at each other and saying, hey, we we're we, we're doing some amazing. We're all doing something that's changing the world right now. I don't I may not like the way you do it, but we're all we all have a common goal or a goal, you know? Yeah. I think and that's, that's why that, I, feel I feel like, like that's how it, how it really happened. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I feel like because they all were doing things in their own way to further the civil rights movement. I don't feel like he would have spent that whole night lecturing them. I feel like he actually would have had fun with them. Exactly. Like Jim Brown said they would have. And from the pictures, that's kind of what it looks like. Cause I saw a couple of pictures of that night and it was just, you know, it was, it was was cutting up and everybody else laughing. And I was like, yeah, I don't really, I feel like whoever wrote this had an agenda. I wanted to like kind of put it in their mouths, but I don't feel like that's how history would have actually played out. No, I don't either. I mean, just, just looking, you know, listening. One thing that that I did do before, you know, speaking on here, I I did. I looked at some interviews between, you know, Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown 
you know, way back when, Sam Cooke. And like that, I don't get that. I'm not getting that perspective whatsoever. Like that's exactly not what that's not what Malcolm X would have done. Like Malcolm would have been, I mean, like you said, like there would have been some camaraderie. There would have been like, hey, this is just a day for us to appreciate what we've done, what we're doing and lift each other up because we have a long way to go. And we know that we are all doing our respective things for the cause. So this will be a night where we celebrate each other. Because, I mean, look. Well, they were there to just, celebrate just, Muhammad Ali. Exactly. Win. They just, he just won a fight. He yeah. just became, he just became the heavyweight champion of the world. Yep. Like that is, that's amazing. He, he's the champ now. Like that, the, there, there was no way that he was, he was preaching to them. I just yeah. don't see that at all. And um, from what I've read, <laughs> they were partying so hard that Ali passed out and then just went home <laughs> at like 2 a.m. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, so I don't see that as like, I don't see Malcolm X is preaching to them. Um, yeah, no, me either. I, I do, however, one thing I do think is accurate is that he knew he was about to die. Oh, Absolutely. I, I absolutely believe that. I feel like that was a good way to portray it. They did a great job yeah. of that, like where he was looking behind his back. He was always searching, looking on the roof, like making sure. And then looking at even um, Kasim, uh, brother Kasim, he saw that he was talking to one of the reporters and he he looked out the window. And it looked, I, I can't remember. It looked like he was paying him off or something. He, no, he was remember. giving them the schedule. Remember earlier in the movie, he was like, no matter oh, where I right. go, they seem to know where I'm going. That's they seem right. to be there that's before right. I am. That's and then right, yeah. In the cafe, when Ali was sitting at the counter, he looked, He walked over to the thing and he looked outside the window and he saw him handling him. It looked like the schedule because it was just a piece of paper. But mm -hmm. um, it looked like he was handing them the schedule to where he was going to be, which means the Brotherhood already had an eye out for him. Already had out for him. Exactly. Because they yeah. knew what he was about to do. Yep. And and the irony of it all, because I do know this history, because, you know, he was going to he was going to leave the Brotherhood to become a Sunni Muslim, which is he, he did for a little bit. But ironically, Muhammad Ali, years later, left the Brotherhood in, to go to to become a Sunni Muslim. And um, I think the last time I read, I read something that was actually really interesting was the last time that him and Malcolm X were together, he disrespected him in the, like the, to the point where he told him, you shouldn't have disrespected Brother Muhammad. I think that's who it was. I think, yeah, it was Brother Muhammad. He told him he, I think they were in, in Gaza or so they were somewhere, either Ghana. They were in Ghana. That's what it was. They were in Ghana together. And Malcolm X saw saw uh, saw Muhammad Ali, and he tried to come up to him, and then Muhammad basically just sideswiped him and was like, "No, nah, nah, -uh. you shouldn't." They you do shouldn't kind have, of they do kind of show that him. with um, the way at the end when Muhammad Ali was changing his when he's changing his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali, and you look over and you see the empty chair, but it's, it's yeah. so subtle. Huh. That it's yeah that so that's his way of being like and you see like the um Muhammad the, yeah Muhammad. he yeah he uh you see him sitting in a chair and you see notice that the chair next to him is empty which is where Malcolm X should be sitting but the thing is the way the movie did it I feel like that's what they were saying was that Muhammad Ali went ahead and joined the Brotherhood and Malcolm X left but the way that it was shot it makes it seem. Almost as if by then Malcolm X was already dead. Was and dead, that was an empty yeah. Chair because he was dead. 
But I feel like like that's what they were saying, but they just did it in a bad way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, that's again, that's the problem with them making it seem like Muhammad Ali joined the Muslim Brotherhood because of Malcolm X. And it also paints Malcolm X in this in this picture of he was using people to further his goals. Now, whether he was or wasn't, I don't think he was using those three. No, I don't either. So, like, uh, that's kind of, that's the beef that I have with the movie. It's like, <laughs> it, it tries, it leans to, I, I feel like it's too much of one person saying, this is what I think happened. When, I don't think that happened at all. I think they, like, caught up and had some fun and laughed and ate ice cream and went home. <laughs> that was yeah, pretty much it. But, you know? but that's what, I wish that's what they should have done. They should have, they shouldn't have been too preachy. Like exactly. they could have made they could have made this movie so much better in the sense of showing black men that black men they don't have to have an agenda all the time. Exactly. Like, even yes. even during the civil rights movement, Martin Especially, Luther King wasn't always wasn't always preachy. He went no. home to his kids. He loved to watch Star Trek. He was a Trekkie. Like <laughs> that was something that people don't even know a lot about Malcolm. That uh, they don't know about Martin Luther King. He loved Star Trek. That was crazy. That's cool to find out. I love Star Trek myself. That was cool to know about him. And like, that's like, just show us in a light where we want to have a good time too, even even when we're dealing with racism. And that is exactly <laughs> what I thought this movie was going to be doing. I thought so too. It is not what this movie did. <laughs> but no, um, it's not. And I, I don't honestly, get what the agenda was. I, like, what was the agenda of the person who wrote the, like, who wrote the screenplay who said, like, this is what the movie is good. Like, this is the end plot of the film. Like, what was their agenda of, like, the moral of this? You know, I, I don't even <sighs> think that they wrote it with an agenda. I think it was just someone with a viewpoint that wrote it. Because when I look at this, I don't see a targeted agenda. Because I if that either. were the case, if someone had the agenda of venerating Malcolm X, they did a bad job. <laughs> but I don't so I don't think that's what it was. I think that it was someone with a viewpoint who wrote this, not realizing that they put so much of their own perspective in it that they took out the actual perspective, that they weren't they were exactly. no longer seeing the actual men. And I because what I feel like, I feel like what happened is the person who wrote this studied all four men in order to construct the narrative that they wanted to tell. As opposed to, I wonder what, like, what I, if I were writing it, I would have written it as if I were the fly on the wall. Like, what do I think happens yeah, between these four exactly. men? And I damn sure don't think that it was preaching time for Malcolm X. Because exactly. especially, especially when you throw in there that he knew he was about to get murdered. He exactly. would have, he needed a release at that point. And mm-hmm. I don't think you throw was, that away was, on preaching to people. You, you would yeah, exactly. And, and one thing I will give, I will give to the casting. The casting team did an amazing job at casting the, the people. Like oh, that absolutely. was really great. Like, I mean, every single person was casted perfectly. Like the, the actor who played Cassius Clay, I mean, he sounded just like Muhammad Ali when he was and in his mannerisms too. The his, thing I mean, me had him is... down packed. It was crazy. I don't know who the guy is who played Malcolm X, but damn, like the whole time, I genuinely thought that was Malcolm X. I did too. That was like the That's, best acting ever. Uh, it just, it, yes, it blew my mind. His mannerisms, everything, like seeing the way that that, that Malcolm X speaks on video. And you look at him, he's like, what? Like it's like he just came out the the nineteen sixties straight in, into your into your screen. Like it's, it mm-hmm. was crazy. 
But had his, I just, his vocal I, cadence I and everything. Every single thing sounded, sounded just, just like, like him. him. Wow. It just yeah. blew my mind. Yeah. Casting was perfect. I mean, if anything, I will say, I think they were trying to portray the fact that Martin Luther King shouldn't be the only person that we value when it comes to civil rights leaders. I guess that's what they were trying to say is that, yes, Malcolm X also played a major part within the civil rights movement, even though we don't acknowledge it as much as we should. See, I, I I don't know. I don't know what that like. I guess I don't know. Like I'm I don't trying think to figure so it. too. Because if that's <laughs> the case, then you wouldn't do one night in Miami. You would do something with Fred Hampton or something with you know. There, there's a litany of people whose names we never speak. So if that were the yeah, case, true. I feel like any of them would have at the very least made an appearance. But instead, it was four people everybody knows the names of. True, true. So I don't I don't even think that was the case. Again, I just I don't think that the person who wrote this had a specific agenda. I just think that their perspective got in the way of who these yeah. men really were. Yeah, I like you say it, it, it would have been much better like if it was like a fly on the wall. I'm looking down at what is happening and I'm just enjoying it. Like I'm enjoying exactly. what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you could tell a lot of it, a lot of it was uh happenstance, because like you said. With the Bob Dylan song, him listening to the song, and like the song had already been written before, <laughs> before all of that. So yeah, now just... see, here's the thing that could have happened: they could have been playing the radio, and when the Bob Dylan song comes on the radio, Sam could have admitted that the re- that song was the reason why he wrote the song. That yeah, was just like, he was just about to debut. Exactly, he could have just like like what they could have did was the song could have came on, and then like. Malcolm could have cut it up a little bit or like Sam could have came over there and cut the remote of the, like the radio off and like, you know, it was like, yeah. And explain that's the reason that's the inspiration for the song. And then he could have just sang it right there. I almost would have enjoyed it better. Had he just sang it for the three of them. Yes. If he had sang it for them, that would have been great. And then Malcolm be like, Whoa, so you did write us like, or something like that, you know, like just lifting up and lifting him up about it. Like, wow. So you weren't just really all about the money or something like that, you know, like, well, you know, I, just like something snarky. I don't know. That's just another thing that like, <laughs> I don't like, I get that uh, Malcolm X may have been anti-capitalism. MLK was a socialist. He was straight up. Yes, anti-capitalist. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are hints that Malcolm X may have been as well, but he didn't, I don't think he necessarily spoke on. He never, he never went much. there. Yeah. yeah. But this whole movie frames it as if, He's like, fuck your paycheck. We have a message to give. And at that time, exactly. that again, that's something that that's written by that's a narrative written by someone in this time, because at that time, mm-hmm. everybody had that message. You couldn't exactly like, you literally because, because that was their that was the everyday life. That's just like last year when everybody was protesting during the George Floyd situation. That would be like saying, like, you know, we really need to start doing something about racism. Like, what do you think people are doing literally every day? Like, you know, so I feel like that was, again, written from the perspective of somebody now, because back then that was a day to day thing. And these men, these four men in particular, were not quiet about it. And so for them to make it for for the movie to make it seem like. Malcolm X was lecturing them about not doing enough. I don't think that would ever happen. I just, nope. I just don't think that he would do that because like you said, I think more so he would celebrate them for doing what they're doing in their way. 
because mm-hmm. that's what they did. You know, they they used their exactly. power to be able to, uh, you know, and and just aside from using their power to be able to make the case for black people, just the fact that they are black people, because I think it was Sam, it was either Sam Cooke or Jim Brown that said it in the movie. The fact that they are black people and they are up there, that alone did tons for yeah. black people and to, to frame Absolutely. it as if like i didn't like the the narrative of framing everything as you know as like oh there's this this fight against white people and it's just it's 24 hours and that's all we ever think about no it isn't no it's not and that you know that's my whole point of doing this podcast <laughs> of doing the not this podcast but doing black history month for this month it's to show we're just everyday people we don't constantly exactly. think, I don't wake up thinking I'm black. No, I am black. I don't have to think about it, you know? Exactly. And, and I, especially, in that, especially in that time, it was like, I'm, I will be constantly reminded every single day that I'm black, okay? Exactly. <laughs> and so I would have liked to have seen what it looks like to get away from all that bullshit and just be a normal person in exactly. that room. That's what I wanted to see from this movie, and it didn't give me. No, that. I agree. Yeah, I didn't get that either. Like, and it, I, I like, I good, I got the point that they were trying to make. You know, with the like, when a change is gonna come, like that, how powerful the song is. That's why they ended with that, of mm-hmm. course. But it's like, like you said, I wanted, I wanted to feel, I wanted to make it feel normal. I wanted to see black men enjoying themselves. Like, especially in that time, Mm -hmm. because all you hear in the 60s back then was it was horrible. It was the civil rights movement. There were dogs attacking and police trying to kill all the black people. Like, that's uh, no. I want to hear what people did. Like, what did they do for fun? You know what they did? I mean, I know what my what my dad always told me what what my my grandparents would do. Like they would cut the radio on and dance with their kids in the living room. Like just to like have some fun with their kids, they would go, they would work hard, and then they would they would at least try to spend time with their kids, read to them, and all these other different things. Like, oh, see, just, my version of the sixties <laughs> for my dad was a little different. They were wild as hell. <laughs> they were, when they got together and they were cutting up when the kids were at home. Yeah, they they were crazy as hell. And so, so I wanted to see what that looked like. Uh, you know? <laughs> so my grand, my my grandparents. Look, I'll just say this: my my dad's side, my grandparents, they had fourteen kids. So they were doing they were doing way too much of, right? of what they <laughs> they shouldn't have been doing. <laughs> I'm like they they just they literally had an army, <laughs> right? Y'all had a whole football team. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I wanted to see, like, I wanted to see my dad's stories of, like, cutting up in the 60s. I wanted to see Mm -hmm. that with these four men. I wanted to see, I don't know, four black men hanging out like just regular men and having fun and not having every damn thing be about them being black. (laughs) Exactly. Sometimes we just need about trying to (laughs) exactly about trying to trying to cause change and all this type of shit. Like, no, that is not what happened. That's not, I just don't see that happening. I think they would just wanted to have a good time. They spent time with each other, praised each other for what they have been doing. And then they, they, and then they got drunk and some of them passed out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and some left and went back home to they to their to their sweethearts like that's it and oh. that's what happened and that's how it should have ended but it didn't <laughs> you know what i want to see i want to see a movie from the perspective of the wives 
because like as i'm watching this movie you always get to see the perspective of like malcolm x and martin luther king jr but you seldom get to see coretta scott king's version because she has while he's going out there being a revolutionary she has to cook breakfast every morning she has to send kids to school Mm-hmm. And it's and it's, then what same thing for Betty Shabazz. Like, what does she have to do? Exactly. And it's like, and a lot of the burden, not to diminish what they did, but a lot of the burden that was felt on that family went on the women because they didn't get to escape. They had to keep the family going. They had to exactly. raise those kids every single day, whether there were death threats, whether bombs were being thrown through the window, bricks were thrown through the window. They had to figure out a way to keep their kids safe and to keep the, and to raise them properly. And they're the ones who had to explain to the kids why people were saying this about daddy or why people were, you know, threatening daddy or why people threatening your life. They're the ones who tucked, as you saw, she's the one who tucked the kids into bed every single night. Sometimes he did, but every night she was the one who did it. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who's got to assure those kids that daddy is safe when he wasn't so i i want to see it from their perspective no i do i i agree yeah that that would be a a really good movie i know they did do if i'm not mistaken i'm pretty sure they did a it was like coretta and betty movie and it was like maybe like early 2010s when it came out and i'm pretty sure it was like angela bassett and mary j blige if i'm not mistaken I think they played, like, Angela Bassett played Coretta Scott King and Mary J. Blige played uh, Betty Shabazz, if I'm not mistaken. What was it called, Coretta and... Yeah, Betty Betty and Coretta. Yeah, let me look. I'm looking at one. Yep, yeah, Betty and Coretta. It was a Lifetime movie. Oh, well. It actually had good... It had good... It's it's got almost a 70 on Rotten Tomatoes. So they obviously must have did a pretty good job on it. I think I'm going to try to give it a try. Give it a little bit of a try. I I do remember, though, that they did make, make a Betty and Coretta movie. That's good, so, but like um, you said, that's a lifetime movie. I want to see like a movie movie. Yeah, full time. Yeah, I know what you mean. Full screen, like what it was like. Full like screen. Release I got theaters you. movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that would be good. That would be a really good movie. I mean, even in that sense, like a movie where, um, like Megger ever ever's like her, his his wife. What did she go through after he got killed? Like maybe a movie of all these revolutionaries. Uh, wives, like maybe we should write this. <laughs> I'm like, maybe we should like, write this. Okay, movie. we start taking notes. <laughs> I'm like, that's that's a good name too. Revolutionary wives, like what? Okay, yeah. Like the wife, like the wife, Coretta Scott King, Betty Shabazz, Megger Evers, you know wife, what? Sam I Cooke's would... wife. Like what? <laughs> yeah, I I would want to do it to where. First of all, I would only focus on two or three so that you could really tell their stories. Mm-hmm. But I want it like I, I was just looking into this movie and this movie shows it's about the friendship they developed after their husbands died. But I want to show their day to day struggles while their husbands were out there preaching like their husbands out there. Because th- for one thing, they don't talk about those men were not home a lot, which is why like Malcolm X had some women on the side then or not Malcolm X uh, MLK. You know, they these women are at home every day. These men, they're not only traveling, so they're away from home, but they're getting arrested and they're gone a lot. Meanwhile, they still have kids. They still have to, you know, their their day to day still has to be grinded out. And just to see to see how they were able to do that 
because there are women today who like don't have any of that going on and are like, how the hell am I going to raise all these damn kids? Exactly. You know, no, but a, <laughs> like, a good example. So like with Megger Evers' wife, um, Merle, I think that was her name, Merle Eggers, uh, Evers, Merle Evers. Like really? okay. nobody, no, no, nobody even really knows her story. Like she fought for over 30 years to get the person who killed her to kill, who killed Megger Evers mm-hmm. convicted. And this bastard, he, of course, he was a part of the Ku Klux Klan and he had the nerve to wear a Confederate flag pin every day that he was in there for his, uh, for court. And it took three trials, three three trials to finally get him convicted. It wasn't until 1994 he was fu- finally convicted for something he did in the 60s. Mm-hmm. That is a perfect story to tell. I was going to say, that story alone is a good story to tell. Right? Just that. I'm like, you know? and, and, and I mean, just what she said, like knowing what she said after, you know, at, like I think the LA Times reported and they said that her, her last words that she said the moment, you know, when it happened, he was finally convicted. She said, Megger, I've gone the, the last mile of the way for you. Like, that is a perfect story. Why yeah. not make a movie about that? Come yep. on. That's it's, a perfect or movie. if you want to talk the pursuit of justice altogether, like uh, Richard Pryor did a joke one time where he said, you want to talk justice? That's what you find. Just us. Uh, <laughs> so for real. talk about how when all of these men, when they were murdered, including Sam Cooke, the people who murdered them are often not the people who murdered them. That's true. The people we think murdered them are not necessarily the people who actually murdered them. I mean, and look, no justice FBI, is pursued. The they didn't give a shit. Wasn't the FBI convicted for murder, basically murdering them? Okay. <laughs> yeah. It, well, I mean, they're the ones who could, who murdered Malcolm X too. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I feel like what happened was, and I, I don't know, with Malcolm X, my history on him is is blurry because I've seen a lot of movies, but I've also read books. And I can't remember which is which anymore because they all kind of blur together. But I've heard like it, the Brotherhood basically allowed the FBI to infiltrate to take him down. Is the story that I, I would not, like, I would not be I surprised. So it's not so much that, but then the FBI was all too happy to make it seem like it was just infighting among Negroes. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's that was the easy way out. But um, from it's what like, I understand, oh, it was, it was, like, look, it's it, their favorite. It's their favorite thing to say: black on black crime. Well, yeah. See, and that's the thing. Like, <laughs> you know? a lot of people don't realize the FBI was essentially started to end the civil rights movement. Of course, J. Edgar Hoover was the biggest racist of all, and he was a piece of shit. And I will say it now: that's exactly what he was. Because yeah. he he deserves what he got. I mean, his whole like his whole goal was to get MLK. He was yep. he tried to take him down several times, and every single time it didn't work. It failed. And, <laughs> yeah, it failed. So they were like, okay, just just take him out, and they just did straight. You know, just just went straight yeah. assassination style. And just like Absolutely. with Kennedy, you just you find a scapegoat and you throw it on them, and you keep going. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I used to watch the X Files. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I'm never going to join the FBI. But this is an awesome show. (laughs) It was like, I loved, you know, the whole, I loved the sci-fi aspect of it. And like the aliens and the conspiracy and everything. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but I'd never join the FBI. That's insane. (laughs) I was just 
Because I, I don't know, like maybe it's just me, but my parents told me all of this stuff when I was a little kid. And it's probably because right. I grew up listening to people like Sam Cooke. So like I was well aware. And mm-hmm. um, and also watching a lot of movies, you get to know, you get to be made aware of things like with Rosewood. Oh, yeah. Like, there are a lot of things like when you watch historical films. And then for me, at least, because I was a kid who kept my head in the encyclopedia. And oh, yeah. So like I would watch a movie and then immediately hit the encyclopedias or start asking my parents like what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And like now you just, you know, ask Google, basically. But <laughs> then, I mean, but I mean, like most people in the even crazier part now is I I think what I made a post later or earlier la- early last year. Where where I specifically said I just well I don't specifically said yeah basically where I outright said the fact that white people think the civil rights movement was just Rosa Parks sitting quietly in an MLK peacefully protesting is proof that the American education system is rooted in white supremacy. Black oh my history gosh. was turned so into people... a Disney version for white consumption and comfort. See that I, I was just telling somebody that yesterday. Do you know there are people <laughs> who believe and I I was taught this as well. But I learned differently, fairly, I I learned differently, like in my teens, but the whole Mm -hmm. Rosa Parks story, people were taught that she was an old lady who had just gotten done with a long day's worth of work and was just too tired to to walk all the way to the back of the bus. No, she was a young lady in her 20s who was part of a greater, she was part of a, a national movement and she was the first step. Exactly. And- All right. So I'll, I'll end on this. So uh, the thing that I love the most about one night in Miami, even though, you know, we there's a lot of problems with it. I do love the fact that one, this was something that was, you know, it's not technically historical fiction. It, it's historical nonfiction, even though the, the camaraderie and the talking, you know, the talking tracks are dramatized. I do love the fact that we got to see um, some of these leaders within Black culture, you know, be recognized for what they've done. Mm-hmm. And so that that's something that I, I really appreciate. I I wish it could have done, been done better. Like we said before, is I, we, I really wish there was more camaraderie. There was not too much preachiness because I just don't see Malcolm X being that extra preachy person, mm-hmm. especially in a time when they're cel- he's celebrating a good friend of his. But I will say without a doubt, the way that they brought on the fact that, you know, change was going to happen and that this this level of yearning for change, I felt that throughout the film that, you know, that they were trying to push for change, even though in a, in a world that didn't treat them like because think about the beginning where Jim Brown asked the guy. Um, the white man, he asked him, Hey, are, are you moving furniture in the house? And then he tells him, you know, we don't, we don't let N words come into the house. And with all that he had already been doing and he had just been bragged on by that white man, mm-hmm. he still wouldn't let him in his house. And that mm-hmm. just goes to show you that we still have a long way to go, even though we are, you know, we, we, put ourselves into this situation to, to become famous and to, to do all of these different things in life that can push us forward. But yet we still have to change the hearts and minds of the people who we don't like, I guess you could say. <laughs> and and, so, like and in some ways, yeah, who don't like us. And in some ways that's not our job. 
I, and I think that's that was another thing. You know, it's not our job to try to change those people's mind, but mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt to try. If you get what I'm saying, <laughs> I get what you're saying, but I I fall in the camp of if you don't like me because of deal with it the color of my skin, <laughs> that's your problem. Exactly, that's something that you need to deal with, and that's what I mean. Like it's it's not our problem. It's not our job to try to change your heart and mind. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to try to touch your soul. That's why I that's why I identified with Sam Cook's character in the movie. Like I love that part where even though it should have been Sam Cook telling the story, but in the sense, you know, with them being in Boston and, and seeing, you know, what he had done in Boston and how he was able to get everybody in that room to just stop complaining, mm-hmm. put your pat, you know, stump your feet, clap your hands, make that sound, make that mm sound. And then he starts singing. That's chain that's gang. a yeah. way, yeah, chain gang. And like to get get to touch those heart and minds of people, like you can effortlessly do those things. And I that's what I appreciated about the film is that I got to see that, which was you know that's something that I can identify with being a musician and a singer myself. That's mm-hmm. something that I I really enjoyed about the film, even though it was you know a lot of problematic things within the film itself. <laughs> Yeah. And who would have thought that the two people to not get murdered in that room were the two athletes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and not quiet ones either. They were very outspoken, very outspoken. They were probably two of the most outspoken. I'd say in the last 50 to 60 years, they were they were probably the, the some of the most outspoken that we've seen. I mean, it it died down a lot. Like people were trying to get Michael Jordan to speak like that at one point, but Michael Jordan never went there. Michael Jordan never went to that to that level. And then look no, what happened to Colin Kaepernick. When, look what like, Colin Kaepernick did. Yeah, it, it completely destroyed his reputation. Unfortunately, it, I, I feel like that's exactly why Michael Jordan never did that because he knew that he would have the things that happened to Colin Kaepernick would have exactly happened to him. Had he done that? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's the sad thing. And that just goes to show you, we still have a long way to go. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for being on the podcast and discussing one night in Miami with me where tell people again, where they can find you. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Savion. My first name S as in Sam, A, B as in Victor, I O N. And then you can also find me on Facebook. I have a Facebook page. It's uh, facebook.com slash Savion Music. And then my Instagram is just Savion Music. So there it is. I'm like, I've been, I was happy to be on here. I, I love, you know, I love chilling, chilling with my girl, Jackie, and, <laughs> and, and, and getting canceled every now and then. And everything. <laughs> I didn't cancel you. I, I just ribbed you a little bit, but. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I could have, but I didn't. Yeah, you could, you could have, but you didn't. So <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just keeping my mouth shut and appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, have a good day. If you like this episode, do us a favor. If you're listening through Apple, give us five star rating or any other app. Drop us a like, and don't forget to subscribe so that you can hear new episodes when they come out. Thanks. Sing, 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 s